Well, it is, it is an honor and it is a privilege uh, to have the opportunity to be um, in front of you this morning. Um, I, uh, as I was looking through um, the sermon and just the message and really the title of today's message, Keep Moving Forward, um, Emily and I just got back from New York yesterday at 5 um, in the afternoon, uh, so it's a pretty quick turnaround to, to be here and starting to feel the, the, the trip home and just all the busyness of last week. But as we were in New York, um, I, I started to get a, a glimpse of what the New York City life is like. Um, and if you've ever been there, um, you know what I'm about to say and you know what I'm talking about, but they are busy people um, in the city of New York. It, it is a nonstop going, swimming up river, walking crosswalks and all kinds of things, they're always moving. It's, it's nonstop. And one of the things that, you know, in the time that we did enjoy, um, we, we did a lot of fun things, um, got to experience a lot of the, the highlights of New York. Um, but one of the things that she and I, towards the end of the week, started to do is we started to blend in a little bit, just throwing shoulders at people, trying to get them out the way. And Really, it was just her. She was kind of leading the way. She's the one with the map, and so she, she got to, you know, throw a couple of shoulders here and there. But as I was reading through my message um, and, and just everything that was in the, the, the passage and the things that were on the sheets of paper and as I was going through just the New York City life and just how busy they were, they always were moving. They just kept moving forward. They were always going somewhere, getting ready to do something and it just kind of made me really, truly start to reflect on my message a little bit more because they were moving constantly. And as the week got closer to New Year's Eve, it progressively got worse. <laughs> uh, I'm almost positive that the number between Thursday and Friday tripled overnight of, of people that were going to be there for New Year's Eve to bring in the new year. And so Friday was probably the craziest day of our entire trip and we were just ready to be home because uh, there were so many people. But the idea behind this one phrase, new year, new me. Um, how many of you have ever heard that phrase before? New year, new me. Okay. So the, the phrase new year, new me gives off the idea that we can be something or try something new to help uh, us be better than the year before. Right? But how often have we said that statement at the start of a new year? And you kind of have to reflect on that statement for yourself here. How often have we said it? And how often have we heard it from other people? So personal New Year's resolutions um, have become the norm for the vast majority of America. Um, so I'm going to ask you a few questions, and I'm going to ask for some group participation. I know my students love when I ask for participation because they just stare at me like I'm an idiot sometimes. And that's okay. And they don't ever respond. Some do, some don't. It's okay. But I'm going to ask for just a simple show of hands. You don't have to say anything or anything like that. So it's pretty simple. So how many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution? I'm pretty sure everybody has made at least one before, right? How many of you have ever failed or given up within the first month? Okay, similar, similar numbers there. How many of you have ever made it to the second month of a resolution? Okay, numbers starting to get a little smaller here. Lastly, how many of you have ever successfully made it an entire year sticking to a New Year's resolution? 
Very few. Very few. So I read an article recently, okay, very recently, actually November 15th of 2022, so just a few, a little over a month ago, right? Um, and it revealed some very interesting statistics, okay? Now, this isn't the full-length list of it. This is just kind of the things that kind of popped out to me and caught my attention. So 38.5% of U.S. adults set New Year's resolutions every single year. 59% of young adults, and based on this study, they say 18 to 34-year-olds, have New Year's resolutions, which makes it the largest demographic that sets these goals. People over 55 are 3.1 times less likely to have resolutions compared to younger adults. <laughs> I know it's, it's, listen, these are my numbers. I don't, I, listen, 48%, okay, here we go, 48% want to exercise more, making it the most popular resolution, and the top three resolutions that are made are about health or some kind of health-related um, thing. Here we go, 23% of all resolutions or resolutioners quit within the first week. <laughs> and only 36% make it past the first month. And then lastly, only 9% of all resolutioners successfully keep their New Year's resolutions. Now, this, this message is not about New Year's resolutions. It's not about bashing New Year's resolutions. I, some resolutions are really good, and people keep to them. Um, some people do keep to them. So I'm not here to say that resolutions are bad, because they are good in and of themselves. This message, however, is about um, keeping to move forward, like keep moving forward, Right? It's not about the success rate or the failure rate of a New Year's resolution, which we've all been there. We've all succeeded to some degree. Some, are, some of you are better than others with the full year length resolution, which props to you. I'm not, I'm not there with you. It's not about the failure rate of a resolution, which based on these stats is a lot of people. But what this message is about is, is it has nothing to do with resolutions again. It's about continuing to move forward, keep moving forward, right? So let's look back at the passage, Luke 9, verse 57 through 62 real quick. And it says this, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said this, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This leads us to the first point. To keep moving forward, we must go all in. Okay, we must go all in. Verse 58 provides us the challenge to any would-be follower. And it says this, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And you might be thinking, well, how, where's the challenge in that? How does that pertain to us? Where, how do we apply that verse to us? Because the verse in and of itself sounds kind of weird. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
That challenge in the verse there is a reminder that the path of following Christ is not easy or comfortable. And the primary reason because of that is because Jesus had, was not at home here on earth. This wasn't his home. And if you dig into the context of that verse, that's what that verse is saying, is that, that Christ was not home here. This is not his, his home. And for this reason, if we take on the challenge of following Christ, then we are not at home in this world either. Yes, you have a home you go to that you'll probably go to and you'll go take a Sunday, morning, uh, Sunday afternoon nap here in a couple, you know, just a few short moments and, and you'll enjoy that, that nap at home, right? The, the, the place where you go and you sleep, right? But this is not our home, okay? Verse 60 makes it clear that the call to follow Christ rises above all other obligations or allegiances. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. See, we must set aside anything that may hinder us from being completely committed to him. Now, the illustration I'm about to use for you this morning is the same illustration that I probably used countless times with the students over in the the student area. And the illustration is this. We have to view life as two separate sides. And there's a very fine line between each side, okay? Now, I'm gonna explain the two sides, so bear with me for a second. On this side, right, this side right here is, is the life, the, the Christian life, the life that we, we say we're gonna follow when we, when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we put our faith in and trust in him. This is that life right here, okay? On this side of the line, though, this is the life of a worldly person, like a worldly living, Okay? Now, you can stand right here on top of that line, but you can't have a foot in both. You can't be on both sides of the line. So if we're going to be committed and completely devoted to him, then we have to stay on this side of the line. We can't look back. We can't say, ooh, that looks appealing. I'm going to, I'm going to dip my toe back over here for a second. Because then what have you done? You've turned your back on on Christ. Because you've you've seen something that you desire over the life that Christ has given you. So the man's request in this verse, verse 60, seems pretty reasonable on the surface, right? He simply just says, let me go and bury my father, right? Right? That seems pretty reasonable. It doesn't seem like a super far-fetched thing to ask. But what most people fail to see is that his first response to Christ was an excuse not to follow him. Listen to what it says again. Go back in verse 59, and he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But then Jesus says to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. See, the man's request doesn't seem like a crazy thing. It seems pretty reasonable. But that's on the surface. When you dig into the response there, he's making an excuse to not follow Christ. He wants to first go and bury someone that may or may not be dead yet. And that's the thing, if you dig into that a little bit, 
there's no mention of his father even being dead yet. So his father could have very, been, very well been alive still. So when is he going to bury his father? In a couple of years? Five, 10, 15 years? No one knows. But he was saying, I'll follow you, but first let me, let me bury my father. He's making an excuse not to follow Christ. So Jesus, um, so he's making that excuse to not follow him, and he failed to understand the priority of the kingdom over family. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I love family. I'm a family man. I, I love doing stuff with my family, spending time with them, going on trips, being crazy and goofy, and, and all those things. But if my priority is family over God, then I've missed the mark. And I know that sounds crazy, and I know that sounds harsh, but the priority is God over family and God over everything else. Because God is the one who died for us, provided us this life, provided us the opportunity to be with our families, right? He's provided us the, the, the ability to laugh and to goof off and to cry and, and to just have fun with our families and our friends. But the man in this, in this story here was prioritizing his family, burying his father over following Jesus. And he failed to understand that priority of the kingdom over family. We must also put all of our chips in the middle of the table regardless of the circumstances that we're in. And I know I'm, I'm making a reference to a card game that may, not, may or may not be mentioned here. It's okay. It's, it's a good laugh. You can, ha- you can have fun a little bit. But we must put everything we have, everything inside of us, into this life that, that Christ died for. Yes, those things over here, they're appealing, they're desirable, we're passionate about certain things, we love to do certain things, right? But if we prioritize that and we put chips over here and we're saying, okay, well, I, I still want to hold on to this, I'm going to put that chip over here, then we're neglecting this. We haven't gone all in for him. Because that's what he's illustrating here. We have to go all in for him. The second thing is this. To keep moving forward, we must stay focused. Verse 62 illustrates the importance of staying focused. Listen to what it says. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not a farmer by any means. I don't even have a green thumb. I hate gardening. It is my least favorite thing in the world. My wife, however, and her dad, he can make something grow out of nothing a lot of times. But in farming, when someone is plowing the field, right, you put your hand on that plow and you start focusing, you go forward, right? But what happens if the farmer gets distracted and, 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 and looks off? going to veer off, right? It's going to start making a zigzag or you're going to, the line is just not going to be straight anymore, right? So, and I'm going to share a little bit about, you know, my, my, my past life here for a second. Um, in high school, I was a cross country and track runner. Um, many of you may know that, many of you may not know that. Um, my senior year of high school, I used to run 70 miles a week. Um, I know some of you are thinking that that's insane. Um, but that's just what I was up to um, by the time I was a senior in high school. And in running, um, 
there's a lot of ways that you can get distracted. There's a lot of ways that you can be, um, that you can ha- have a lack of focus. But thankfully, I had a coach who, instead of just coaching us, instilled a lot of life lessons through his coaching. And one of the things that he used to tell us all the time is to focus on the man or group in front of us, to latch on to them and catch them. Mainly because in a race, you're not always in the lead. Now, by the time I finished my high school career, I had worked my way into one of the top 20 runners in the state of Arkansas. And I was not always in the lead. In fact, I never actually won a race in high school. I was always chasing other guys. But one of the things that he instilled into us is that it's not always about the winning. It's, always, it's about focusing, staying focused on them, trying to catch that person, pushing yourself to the max to try and catch them. I never really understood that statement until I got to be a senior in high school. And I was, as I was getting ready to run my final race, the state meet, in 2010, and, and I was had worked my way, right, into that top 20, uh, one of the top 20 runners in the state. And as the gun sounds, I mean, you think of the top 20 runners, there were guys that were running like 14-minute 5Ks. That wasn't me, even though my wife would probably disagree. Um, my, my best 5K was like a 15.55. Okay, it's still fast, but it's Okay. So in that race, we take off, right? And, and these guys that are, that are a whole lot better than I am take off. But I, I started to think about what my coach would tell me. Focus on that group and one by one start to pick them off. And, and, it, and I did, and I worked my way into finishing in the top 15 in my senior year of, of high school, which I never finished in the top 15 before. But I, I, I listened to what he was saying, and as he was yelling out split times per mile at me, as the race was progressing, he, he just kept saying it. All right, focus on the next group. Catch that guy in front of you. All right, you're not too far behind the next group. Go catch them. Like, I remember those phrases because it was always about focusing on them. One of the things that we used to do in our training is this thing called quarters, now, if you're a track runner or a cross-country runner, or if you ever were, you may know what I'm about to talk about. Quarters is just 400 meters. And so it's one lap around a track, okay? And our coach used to break down our average 5K into 400-meter increments. And then we would go to the track. He would have his stopwatch. He would tell us what our time needed to be per lap. And he would expect us to match that time. And the catch is, he, he would break up uh, us into groups. The top seven runners on the team, he would put in one group, and then he would break it into the next group, and then break it into the next group, so on and so forth, down the line until there, weren't anybody, there wasn't anybody else to put into a group. The thing is, is if over half of the people in your group were slower than the time that they were given, he added on another one and another one. And we used to want to kick them out the group because they were making us have to run more. But the point of this illustration is that we had to focus on the time that we were given, right? We had to focus so much that we had to hit the time right on the mark or we had to be faster than the time. 
Now, I, I, I never tried to run faster than the time because I didn't want to be gassed by the end of it because I wanted to have a little bit left in the tank to, to finish the workout. But the same way that I was focused, right, on the man or group in front of me or the time that I was given or that was set before me is the same way that we should be focused on the man that we say we are following. If we lose focus of Christ, right, if we lose focus of Christ, then we will quickly veer off course. Now, one of the things in, in, in cross country in a race that you're told not to do or you're taught not to do is that when you're in the race, don't look back. Don't, don't look back to see how close the next person is to you. Because most likely, if you're worried about the person behind you and you're not focused on the person ahead of you, that person behind you is eventually going to pass you because you start to worry about what's behind you instead of what's in front of you. So in that same context here, staying focused on Christ and all the things that he has provided to us on a daily basis, we can't worry about what's back here. Because all, the only thing that's gonna happen is if you focus on the things that are back here, you're gonna be lost. You're gonna lose sight of what's real. You're gonna lose sight of what really matters in this life. And it goes back to that illustration of, of that fine line in this, in this thing we call life. You can't have a foot in both sides of the line. You can't have a foot in the, in the Christian life and a foot in the worldly life. They don't, they don't mesh together. Yes, we live in this world, but we can't be of the world. And that's the point there. Thirdly, to keep moving forward, we must never give up. We must never give up. The story I'm about to share with you is a story that many, I'm sure many of you have heard. The story of Derek Redman. If you don't know who that is, I'm about to explain it to you. Derek Redman was a finalist for the 400 meter in the 1992 Olympics. In the final race, the guns sounded, the runners took off, but then Redman pulled up. Like he slowed down, essentially. Okay, He slowed down because he had torn a muscle in his leg. He had torn a muscle in his leg. And this is where the story gets good, okay? So as he, as he slows up, now he doesn't stop, he doesn't quit, he, he keeps going. He hobbles around the track, right? Around the third turn of the track, a man comes running onto the track, pushing through security that's trying to stop him. All the while, this man is pushing through. And, and the man that catches up to Derek is his father. His father rushes from the stands onto the track to assist his son because his son wasn't going to give up. He was determined to finish the race regardless of where he placed. When asked why they had to finish, Redmond simply said this, we started this together, we finished this together. See, Redmond had the will to never give up. He never gave up. So no matter how many times we get knocked down, right? No matter how many times we get knocked down, we have to get back up. No matter how tough it gets, you never give up in the fight. One of my favorite quotes, and I know this may be a controversial movie because the movie itself isn't as great as the original one, but 
The 2006 Rocky Balboa movie has a quote from Rocky that he delivered to his son. And it says this, the world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It is a very mean and nasty place and it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is gonna hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much can you take and keep moving forward? Life is gonna be full of ups and downs. It's gonna be full of, of just triumphs, right? And, and just very low moments. But how much can we take in this Christian life and continue to move forward? I can tell you one thing. The person that we read about in scripture never gave up. The man was beaten, was spat on, he was mocked. And he kept moving forward. Jesus never gave up because he had one goal in mind, and that was to get to the cross and die for us. He was beaten to the brink of death, but he still went to the cross on our behalf. We, we deserved the death that Jesus died, but Jesus took that on for us. He never gave up. Life, this world, and Satan are going to try everything to knock us down and to keep us from going all in, from focusing on Jesus, and ultimately force us to give up. That's Satan's goal. He wants you to give up. He doesn't want you to keep seeking after Christ. He wants you to, to always look back at the, the, the worldly things that he's placed in front of you and say, okay, yeah, that's more important. I want to I focus on that. I want to I live in that moment. Turn, turn away from Jesus. Because that life is hard. It's difficult. It's not easy. So Satan's going to distract you. The li this life, this world is going to distract us from what's really important. Listen to what Paul says here in Philippians 3.14. Philippians 3.14 says this, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 says this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now we all know who Paul is. Paul was one of the worst of the worst. Persecuted Christians, hunted them down, killed them. Was just a terrible person. And then who did he meet? Jesus. Jesus revealed himself to him. Changed Paul's life, radically changed Paul's life. And we all know that Paul was commissioned into being arguably the greatest missionary, earthly missionary, to ever walk the earth outside of Christ. See, Paul was well known for using athletic imagery, and in doing so, he affirms that at the close of his life, he engaged in the one event that was truly worth one's life. That, that event is the gospel mission. Paul actively engaged in that mission. He actively engaged in that life event. In the same breath that he is saying that he has completed the race that God placed before him, he also exhorts Timothy to do the exact same. The, Paul, the, the prize that Paul mentions in Philippians 3 verse 14 
is the fullness of blessings and rewards in the age to come, especially the prize of being in perfect fellowship with Christ forever. See, this life is going gonna, is gonna to provide a whole lot of different things for you. New Year's resolutions come and go. They do. And the number that actually fulfills their resolutions is very small. And, and, and we can say we're going to do certain things, right? We're going to get healthier. We're going to eat better and, and work out more and do all these things, right? And those are good in and of themselves. But the resolutions that are starting to come out in today's world, and this is from conversations with friends of mine that are, that are in ministry, that are at churches the resolutions that they're getting from their, their church members are kind of crazy. I have a friend of mine who's in California and, and he is struggling right now because he's been working, with, working on this one family. It's a small church. He's been trying to build and, and get people to come to the church. And one of these families that, that he keeps working with have had the same resolutions for the past four years. The same ones. Going all the way back to like 2019 and 2020, 2021, 2022. And he just, he texted me the other day and said that their resolutions for 2023 are the exact same. So now five years running, they've had the same resolutions. To read this more, to pray more, and to be active in church more. And, and it hurt his heart to hear that this same family had the same resolutions over and over and over and over again. And he, and he asked him a simple question, why is it the same resolutions every single year? Why is this not an already a daily habit in your life? Why is this something that you're not already actively engaged in? Why does it have to be a new year resolution every single year? And then in the, in the conversation that we were having through text, he just was exclaiming that it hurts that Reading this has, has been reserved to a resolution, or at least reading it more, or even just opening it. See, what happens is, in, 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 in this conversation, he was just talking about how he read an article about just the, t- the statistics behind everything. He said that the people that say that they're going to read their Bible more as a resolution typically are the ones that fail in the first week because they get to the point of opening the Bible, don't know where to start. All they do is they close it and they put it back down and they never pick it back up because it hasn't become a daily habit in their life. Reading our Bible, praying, talking to God, going to church shouldn't be New Year's resolutions. If you are committed to following Christ, then it should become a daily habit for you to fellowship with God. Reading his word, praying, worshiping him. I know going to church is like a Sunday, Wednesday thing, but the church isn't a building. It's a group of people. You want to have church? Get with your family. Fellowship with them. Go to church with them open the word together, pray together, sing songs if you feel compelled to. But these things shouldn't be 
limited to a, a resolution on a yearly basis because that's where the church is failing is we're, we're, we're limiting these things to resolutions that we say we're gonna do more of and be better at and then we ultimately fail at it because it's not something that we have committed and actively engaged in in our lives. So in order to keep moving forward, we must go all in, right? We must go all in. We must stay focused and we must never give up. The challenge behind these three points is to press on towards the same goal that Paul did, which is to set our aim constantly and daily toward the heavenly goal. The goal, the, the, the goal that he was setting is that gospel mission, sharing the gospel, teaching, preaching the gospel, making disciples, witnessing to people, committing that to being something that we are actively engaged in on a daily basis. Because if we don't do that, then are we truly reading the Bible? Are we truly getting in God's word? Because those are the things that we've been commanded to do. And hopefully, prayerfully, starting next week, we're gonna dig into those seven commands, those things that we have been commanded to do. And I pray and hope that, that it challenges you the same way that it challenged me as we were digging through what that was, whole thing was gonna look like. And as we were piecing it all together, it challenged me. As someone who, who is a staff member at a church to, to, to do it more than just what I do on a regular basis. To do more. Not as a resolution, but something that we commit to our lives. Because if we're committed to Christ, then we have to be committed to the things that he's commanded us to do. And I hope and pray that the message today wasn't something that made you feel bad. I hope it challenges you. The same way that it challenged me as I was trying to piece all this together and, and find what scripture to use and, and how to present it. And honestly, when I finished piecing it all together, as I was working through it, praying over it, I honestly had no idea how I was going to approach it. But I hope and pray that something challenged you today to commit your life to who Jesus wants you to be, not who the world wants you to be. And I hope and pray that if today you, you are feeling challenged, the altar's open to pray and to get things right with God. Maybe you're here and you don't know who Jesus is. Maybe you're here and you have no idea who this man who, who died on a cross, what that actually means to you. If that's you today and you don't know who he is, I pray that today is the day of salvation, that you come into a saving faith relationship with the person who died for you, who shed his blood for you. And if you're here today and you're, you're a believer and you have been for, for years, or even if it, you're a very recent believer and maybe you're in your first year of faith, I pray that you continue to be a follower of Christ who daily devotes themselves to reading God's word and, and, and investing time into it and learning and hearing from it because the only way we truly hear from God is by opening up this book, reading it, studying it, and allowing that to speak to us. Praying and talking to God. You wanna have a conversation? Just start praying. 
A lot of people, a lot of times, often say, well, I don't know how to pray. Just start talking to God. I guarantee you, he would much rather you come to him as you are right now than to say some model prayer. He wants to hear from you, regardless of what it is that you have to say. He just wants to hear from your, his children. He wants to hear what you're struggling with, what you're excited about, what you, uh, if you had a win for the day, tell him about it. That's how we hear from God. So if you're here today, the invitation is for anybody that just wants to, 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 to get right with God, whatever it is, whether it's you just need to commit your life back to who he has, has, has commanded us to be, or maybe it's because you've never received salvation before, or maybe it's because you just want to pray and ask him to continue to work in your life and that you would continue to be in his word. Whatever it is, the invitation is open. The altar is open. I'll be down front. But I'm going to pray, and as I pray, David James is going to come up, and we're going to have a time of invitation. And I hope and pray that you respond to God, not to me, not to anybody sitting next to you, not to your friends, or your family, but respond to God. Respond to, to, to who Jesus is. Respond to what he is placing on your heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for just the opportunity we've had to gather into fellowship. And, and Father, pray that as we begin another new year, Father, I pray that it is, it is full of opportunities to share the story of your son, Jesus, and the love that he provided by going to the cross and the, the, the free gift of salvation that he provides through his death and the shedding of his blood on the cross. Father, pray that you just give us opportunities to, to read your word, to hear from it, to learn from it, to grow from it. And Father, as a church, I pray that we diligently get out into the community and, 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 and win people for you. Father, for those that are here that don't know you, Father, I pray that today is the day of salvation, that you come upon their life and that you radically change it and you reveal yourself to them. Father, for those that are here that do know you, Father, pray that they continue to seek after you daily, that they continue to, to seek after your word daily, and that they don't give up. Life is hard, but Father, I pray that we would be a church that no matter how many times we get punched, no matter how many times life knocks us down, Father, I pray that you just encourage us and guide us and help us to always get back up and to keep moving forward and to press on towards the heavenly goal that you have set before us. Father, we love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray.